The listener assumes all responsibility and risk for use of this podcast. How would you like that movie? Will not assume any responsibility and or consequences if you decide to invoke his name. Because we're talking movies, we're talking Candyman, starring Yaha Abdul Mateen II, Tiana Paris, and Nathan Stewart Garrett. Written by Jordan Peele, Wynn Rosenfield, and Nia DaCosta. Based on the characters created by Clive Barker and Bernard Rose, and directed by Nia DaCosta. I am the writing on the wall. The sweet smell of blood. Be my victim. I don't take any responsibility for this, but Candyman, 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 Candyman. everybody and welcome to this week's episode of how'd you like that movie tonight we're talking about Candyman, the release in 2021 which is a direct sequel to the 1992 film so let's immediately kick it over to our resident horror expert scott scott take it away yeah to begin i just want to apologize to our audience because this is really going to be the quickest show we've ever had because chris if you say anything derogatory anything negative even the old if it was me, I would edit this out <laughs> shit. I am exiting this meeting. So, Chris, sing the praises of Candyman. No, 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 no. You can't put me in that kind of box. Nobody puts Baby in the corner and nobody put Chris in the box. Uh, if, if you're going to give me those types of constraints, you got to fucking lead off, buddy. Because, like, you literally took away Chris's entire lexicon. So, Scott, take it away. <laughs> I, I fucking love this movie. Okay. Um, like, yeah, I thought it was amazing. Um, I could not, like, every choice was spot on, like, by the cinematography, the direction. Um, even the tweaks they made from the first movie to this one, which I don't want to give it away. I thought like it blew my mind. I was, I'm 100% in awe of this movie. And, Right now, this movie is my best of 2021. Like, hands down, not not best horror of 2021. Yeah, just film in general. Fantastic. Like, right now. Right now. So, like, obviously, we still got some more months. I got still more movies to watch. But right now, this is this is my number one. That's okay. You heard, you heard it here, here, here first, folks. Um, so, okay. First off, are you a fan of the original 1992 film? um i enjoyed it but it's not one i would revisit a lot like there's a lot of symbolism in that film a lot a lot of things that you know were well done but like in terms of like slasher horror like Candyman was is not in my top five right but this movie has now propelled it into the top five like for me even as a kid watching that movie i always always consumed the first one as um like symbolism for like consumption and like to me i always thought like Candyman was like a drug for helen in the first movie that's when they're always together she seems all days like she's just high as shit like um and what they did with this movie kind of takes that kind of away but flips it 180 and 
yeah like i don't want to that's yeah, the yeah, thing. Yeah. I don't want to spoil it because it just came out, right? Um, what? Just another question. So, did you did you rewatch the original Candyman in conjunction with this at all? I did the first one, okay. the second one that was directed by Bill Condon, just to see. Because um, once I realized he's like Bill Condon was the director of the second one, I just wanted to see how the contrast between what he was then as a young director to now, right? So, but I didn't watch the third one because the third one's the one that went like all out, like pretty much put in the Friday the 13th formula and yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. boobs. And and it's kind of weird that, you know, the third one, the plot is Candyman wants to fuck his <laughs> descendant. So Jeff was just like, this is just getting that kind of weird. But uh, yeah, those two, I watched those two and then watched this one. So as a sequel, do you, is this like new canon? It's like, we're doing the Halloween thing. Are you cool with this being the new, essentially Candyman 2? Like the sequel, like a true, yeah. true like you think these, yeah. these line up well. Like you think the, just on the canon, you think that they, they did a good job of going from, if you just like get rid of everything else, 1992 film Candyman. 2021 film those goes those bookend together well yeah like again like the way they um built upon like the mythos of the first first film and then inserted it into here and then has its little twists and turns but the thing that i think they did really well here is using kind of um just history itself like what the world was like in 1992 to what the world's like now and how that technically would reflect upon like this myth this legend of the creature the monster whatever you want to call him of Candyman, and how that can be kind of converted and twisted right like time has changed and so has Candyman. exactly gotcha like even even how you see because what the like I know they're like it's not a major spoiler but how they're talking about um, G oh my god I can't pronounce it G gentrification oh where or gentrif taking, gentrification like, yeah yeah um, where where they take like you know in 1991 um, oh my god this was a project a basically park. it was like a whole project yeah. complex and now it's like a fucking Starbucks uh, and luxury condos, right? Exactly, right? And and you see it, like, in the world now, too, where they kind of, like, these developers buy up all these places, all these, like, you know, like, the street, the states where they have these, like, uh, rent-protected homes, they start buying them up, and then, you know, they don't... It's the plot of every drama that you've probably seen in the last three years, especially it's development drama, or, you know, the landlord doesn't maintain the home. So that way these residents leave and then they start building it up. Right. And yeah, like using real life events, like real world events and timelines makes it that much better. And I'll say one thing between the first one and the second one, Vanessa Williams did not age at all. Like, it literally looks like she came off set of the first one <laughs> and then just sat down on the set, <laughs> the set of the second one. Like, I will give her props. <laughs> like, 
so and one thing i will definitely give this film credit for is and i'm for those that don't know i'm actually in pre-production on a kind of horror slasher thriller type thing and one of the premises that i want to work around is this idea of shoot your horror and we actually talked about this on our last show the idea of like do a good job and add your horror don't just make horror and so this film is very much a drama with like bloody sequences but what you're watching is very very capable actors with a very capable script doing very good work in a film that's being well directed and it happens to be a horror film opposed to Let's just like throw all the, you know, filmmaking techniques out the window. Let's put some boobs. Let's put some blood and let's do this thing for $3 million. And, you know, like go. let's be honest, this is not a Blumhouse film. You know what I mean? Like this is a, a very well-constructed film. Um, and I think they did a very good job. Like this is a $25 million budget, which is a, it's a solid budget, but that's not a lot of money. And when you watch this, anyone who sits down and watches this, when you see the level of filmmaking, the cinematography is fucking hands down. So actually, here's a question. If you had, we've talked about Annabellum having great cinematography and this film definitely has great cinematography. Which one has better cinematography? Because to me, it's a That's fun. fucking toss up because there's some really good establishing uh, cinematic shots, like tracking shots in, in Annabellum. But this man, it's like, it's it's almost like um, like the inverted shots and like Christopher Nolan level like psycho like mental flipping cinematography like they did some just amazing work with mirrors which I always think are great like camera devices if you can use them properly great use of shadow great use of color uh, great use of costume um, if this is so this yeah film, like yeah. I will say like in terms of what they did with the mirrors and, and reflection itself was, I think it's going to propel it and take it forward. I think it's going to be copied and mimicked a lot. Cause it, it was a, like, to me, I couldn't think of another film that kind of used those kind of, um, um, tropes in which how they use the reflection and how they use the mirrors well because the mirror... especially when you have a, a killer especially when you have a killer that you know works through the mirrors kind of thing right yeah they so they hit that which is basically the callback to the original you know premise of the the killer you've got mirrors being a like a physical choice to use from a cinematic perspective because you can get some really crazy angles you can do interesting things but then you also have the metaphorical aspect of a mirror, the looking into the mirror and can you face, you know, as Michael Jack, the man in the mirror, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're hitting. Yeah. This... Never do that again. <laughs> never fucking do that. I'm again. half this podcast. I can do what I want. You, you already took away all my yeah. lexicon. So I'm going to have to do Michael Jackson singing. Uh, yeah. Like again, <laughs> okay. From a stylized perspective, this film is fantastic. So my quote this week is from David Sims of the Atlantic. The film has enough visual panache to make it an involving watch, but it struggles to live up to the audaciousness of its deeper ideas. And I agree with it. Like there is a lot going on in this film. There's a lot of social commentary, which I, I love the approach. Um, my note to myself basically was like, this film tries to say a lot in 90 minutes plus be a horror film. 
Uh, it's a good effort, but it misses the mark. You can usually do one thing well, but not a lot of things at the same time. And now, go if, ahead, go ahead. If I can, I can interject. What, in your opinion, did it miss out on? Like, what was it trying to say? So I think it said the stuff it needed to say. I do feel that it got a bit slow. So this film's 90 minutes and at points it felt long. You know what I mean? Like I, I felt like it's a bit. You can't say it. Okay. I can't say it. Okay. (laughs) So it's 90 minutes. It's 90. It's a 90 minute film. And to answer your question, it wasn't scary enough. That it, it almost felt like uh, DaCosta got um, got caught up in the like s- narrative structure as far as like talking about gentrification and like uh, police brutality on black community and stuff, which is all great. And again, it's like you want to write a drama that has horror and it almost felt like the horror became not even secondary, but like third or fourth on the list. So maybe this will be a good jumping off point for like number two, which will, will go like kind of alien and that turns into aliens. And then we get some like really good kill. That said, that said, hold on before you come out. Hold on before you come in. The ending of this movie, fucking awesome. I will definitely give it. The ending of this movie is fucking rad. Okay, go. Okay. Now in terms of that, that's the thing that I thought, um, is weird because you're saying it, it's not say it didn't for you it didn't say what it was supposed to say and it was long and what I, the way um, like the way I saw it right and see if this changes your mind at all um, I think what they did well is the use of story yes they did right, right. It, it's all about continuing the story right like like when we were in um elementary school and you know you would have indigenous studies and they would talk about how the story of the tribe was passed on from generation to generation and that's how it lived on right and what i found and i thought what they did extremely well is technically how we were talking about this is a straight continuation of the first film and it was to continue the story of the Daniel Robitaille um, Candyman so he can live again right? Sure. So it actually brought I mean the story the, the story the story arc is fine I, again and I as I've already said I think it's great to have like a drama that you then add superimposed horror elements on top of and I think they tried to do that. I just think they did not execute it very well. And by they, I mean Nina DaCosta. I mean, so Nina DaCosta... I'm going to disagree. Like, I'm going to disagree. Like, I think story-wise, and I think... So you found it scary? Am... Did you find it scary? Or whatever whatever yeah, right. you judge horror films by. Like, thrilling yeah, enough. Or... Like, it, it 100%, right? Like, I think if you're going in for a horror film right or you know like this is gonna hit its mark and what's scary to you um could be like traumatic for somebody else right like in terms of horror it's all general like art right it's all um perspective 
exactly i, I was having a brain fart uh i'm smoking uh, too did, your, much did your did your did your brain eat beans because it seems to be farting a lot no no man it's just like it's all the paint fumes from painting right <laughs> I, 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 tripping I, I the went, light fantastic went, over there yeah i went method with this one you know since um you know the main character was a painter i decided to just paint and live in his world for a little bit nice but <laughs> um i'll say this in terms of what you're saying scary or not like what i appreciated is she she threw in some nods to some films that you probably think are are scary like rosemary's baby mm-hmm. there's some nods to that in the film um but to me the whole premise of this film and I'm gonna have to spoil it is they literally changed Candyman from a villain to a hero they do by the end they do so and that's which actually allows you to look at the first movie and see him in a different light I would say yeah. that that pivot, the set, the pivot in the second actually can change. It can change your entire perspective of what's going on in the first. Right. Um, so, yeah. And, and I think in terms of what you're saying, like with that end goal in mind, there's only so much gore, so much things that he could technically do that you can still, he can still be, kind of redeemed that you're going with him by the end right if he's going in a all-out freddy freddy krueger or michael myers kind of kill fest uh, yeah nightmare on elm street 2 where he comes out of the pool a pool party and just starts killing everybody it's hard to to redeem him right but you're looking forward to to when the final final girl gets to him right here you're like when when the story is completed and what um, the laundromat guy got, what he wanted, and the, sto- the story is completed, and now he is redeemed. He's not, uh, you know, he's not a spirit looking for rege- re- uh, revenge. He's a spirit a looking for... He's a vengeance. He's yeah. vengeful now. Yeah. Yeah. So... That, again, so yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm looking at it and seeing... I'm wanting something different and maybe they executed exactly what their goal. To me, like those are some of my favorite scenes in, in the film. Yeah. 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 Right. I I like like some of the stuff in the gallery, the lead up with the, the bondage straps on the jeans and like, you know, you know that that is a bad choice for those characters to be making. And then what ends up happening because of said bad, I was like, fantastic. Like it was good. Um, like I said, it was visually very stimulating. There is a great story there. It felt a bit long to me. Um, I mean, Nia DaCosta, her big claim to fame is she had a kind of like a short or a section of her film, Little Woods, that got picked up like by the Sundance uh, development uh, program. And then Little Woods is on my list of things to see. It looks amazing. It's basically about, you know, uh, a young girl getting pregnant and having to get an abortion and then her friend having to get back into drugs to like pay for the Like, and it's, it looks beautifully shot. It's like super dramatic. So she is definitely the right person to do what you're talking about. Take a, like a slasher film and give it some mm-hmm. depth 
and then move it forward. So it will be interesting to see. There's a hundred. I mean, so it did $75 million on a $25 million budget. Again, we don't have the VOD demand. Uh, sorry, the VOD numbers. I'm assuming this made enough money to make a sequel. There seems to be lots of buzz around it. Uh, the actors did a fantastic job. Like, fantastic. Like, yeah. again, like, they definitely well, even, did. A, go ahead. I was going to say, even the set, like, theater-wise, even the 75 over 25, that's during the pandemic when this was one, at the time, one of the only films that that went um, theater only, right? Sure. It, it, it's just now releasing on VOD, um, which I'm going to assume it's going to be number one on VOD. And so I saw well. it in the, I saw it in the theater. I purposely went and it's, it was actually the first movie I have seen in a theater since the beginning of COVID. And I'm glad I saw it in the theater because of the c- cinematics in it, like the DOP, John uh, Galusian. So this is what's interesting. So uh, the DOP on this, I was expecting him to have all these really great credits. And I mean, he does have some that I, th- I personally find very cinematic, like the overnight is well shot. American pickle looks fantastic. And just like from the trailer, it looks like really, really well shot. Um, but he's done a lot of like rom-coms and I was shocked at the level of cinematography that he has brought to this film. I would watch, I would suggest that like, even if you don't like horror, you should watch this film just for the cinematography. The cinematography is amazing. Oh yeah, and I 100% agree on that. Like it captivates you. Like you feel like you're in the story. Like I'll take my favorite shot of this film is the um, when he's in the apartment with the reporter, mm-hmm. right? And then it has the give or take kind of thing. And you know, she goes into the bathroom. Like he he's kind of teasing her, like, "Oh, I dare you to say the name." Like if you want to do it, she goes into the bathroom to just pee or whatever. You see her with a like shitty grin looking at the mirror, but you don't hear anything. You don't see anything. Mm-hmm. And then he ha- he has his interaction. And then when he leaves, and all of a sudden, it's that uh, pan out of her apartment in the window. Yeah. Right? Like, like, how that looked and how beautiful, technically. Like, it reminded me of... Um, Dark Knight Returns, like, fucking um batman like just the cinescape right yes. like you, you can kind of see like it was one of the most beautiful things that i've seen this year right and that's why right now it's it's number one for me um yeah like i, I like i mean i agree with you the cinematics are great i mean jordan peele does good work in general like get out was well shot us is well shot i mean he's a producer on black Klansman. like the like he, he's a good producer like he knows he's got the he's got the name and the money behind him and the accolades because he's got what an oscar and three oscar nods he's got two baftas so when he puts his dick down people come and suck it you know what i mean and they sucked a good dick on this are you, movie. are you fucking serious right now like i am not gonna take responsibility for that (laughs) but you know what i mean like the guy's got he's got the ability and he's got the chops and he's got the accolades to be like not everybody can walk in and be like i want to do a Candyman fucking sequel and i want this kind of budget and i want these types of cinematics and i want this kind of director like some people get told to fuck right off when that happens right like i hear what you're saying but like 
a $25 million budget isn't really that a lot. It's right? not. But to, to take $25 million and spend it on a horror movie that's this artistic, that's a tough fucking sell to – it's going to be a tough sell to the studios, right? You need someone – I don't think it would. I disagree with you. I think you need someone like Jordan Peele. It's the same way Christopher Nolan can have $350 million design IMAX cameras to fucking shoot backwards. But fucking Chris Lankford, Scott Vega, we cannot go out and get that time. of like, you need to be able to say why, and you need to be the right who to make that happen. And I think Jordan Peele is definitely the guy to do that. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, but I like... To, do you? Do I you? don't know. I feel like yeah, you're pushing yeah, back like you don't understand. And, no, because from my understanding of it, and I could be wrong, like the studio went to them to make this film because Candyman was in limbo and nothing had been done for the last 20 years. Sure, sure, Because sure, sure. of... I mean, and again, so, and you're right about that. I mean, and Jordan, but, but Jordan Peele has a reputation for successfully pulling these things off. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. Um, but... but. Yeah, man. I mean, I think that one actually one of my favorite favorite aspects of this was the uh, puppetry animation, which was uh, created by a Chicago-based puppet theater company named uh, Manual Cinema. They that stuff's so cool. Especially stay. I think is it in the end credits when they do the whole play out the story. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely watch. Yeah. I would watch. I would actually watch a twenty-minute, twenty-five-minute short film done in that puppetry animation, just talking about the like legacy of Candyman. that in itself should be a short fucking short film they did that when it got delayed oh there so there when, is already one. The, yeah when it got delayed um they released like a little short they uh, off the puppetry that that was like the story of Candyman because this was uh this was supposed to be released last year but it got pushed to this year uh because of covid but yeah, they um, they did do that. I think you can find it on YouTube if I'm not uh, mistaken, right? Well, I'm definitely going to check that out. Um, I don't have much more to say, but one thing I do want to do is I just want to quickly talk about like two of the lead actors. So Yaha Abdul-Mateen II, um, I'm super... So he was in the trial of the Chicago 7. I mean, people know him from Aquaman. He was in Us. In Us. Uh, I'm looking forward. He's going to be taking over the role of Morpheus in the uh, the Matrix uh, mm-hmm. Resurrection film. So that should be kind of cool. That's Those are some big Lawrence Fishburne uh, shoes to step into. So it should be good. Uh, he definitely has the chops. He's, he's a fantastic actor. Um, and Tiona Paris, who played Brianna from Dear White People, Shaq Ra, was amazing, by the way. Both, she was really good in Mad Men. But in one of my favorite films by James Baldwin, uh, If Beale Street Could Talk. And if you haven't seen If Beale Street Could Talk, definitely watch it. It's beautifully shot. Uh, and she does a fantastic job in that. So uh, unless you got anything else for me, Scott, I'm, I'm good. I would recommend people see this. Um, and then maybe give us some feedback. You know, talk to us, Goose. And that is our rant for the day. Please like and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking to get a hold of us, please go to our website at howdyoulikethatmovie.com. All our social media links are there, and you can email us as well.
why the fuck do you gotta bring in Top Gun? Like we had such a good conversation, <laughs> and and then you, then you gotta bring in that shit. Like, uh, whatever. Right. I'm done with this shit. I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> Production by Rod Shaver, Fader Monkey Productions.